Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome into the Gridiron Show. My name is Michael McQuaid. Uh, in Ollie Connolly's place today, I'm in Simon Clancy's place today, recover from a late night NFL draft ex- uh, extravaganza over the last couple of days. I've got very good company today. I've got my friend Jeff Reinbold. I'm sure we've all seen Jeff over the last few days on, on TV with Sky Sports and very active in Twitter, Jeff, over in Las Vegas the last few days. First off, welcome in. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. It's early in the morning here. Mike, is this place is amazing, right? I came down in the lobby at 6 o'clock this morning, right? And there are people smoking cigarettes, throwing throwing dice. <laughs> it's just amazing. This city does not sleep, and it never stops. It doesn't stop. And for, for anyone listening to this podcast, uh, this is being recorded just before the final day of action starts uh, in the NFL draft. And I guess before we sort of look at or talk about the first few picks, even from Thursday night, Jeff, um, what's your experience been like in Las Vegas over the last few days? You've, you've gave us a few hints there. You've done a couple of shows in Sky. Uh, it, it seems to be a very memorable place and a place I would say will host a number of different drafts throughout the next few years. Well, I think it's set the standard now for, you know, what draft, this draft experience is. You can't even say draft day. You just got to say draft experience because, you know, much like the London games, you see every jersey of every team here. I had a great time the other day, Michael, and I just went around and randomly grabbed fans out on Las Vegas Boulevard, which is known as the Strip, and talked to them about who they wanted their teams to take and it's incredible the passion of the fans, the knowledge of the fans, and you know whether it was interviewing, you know, the top 18 players, who, which the NFL brought to Vegas for for the draft, or a random fan on the street, or an NFL alumnus that you would meet. I mean, everybody is pumped up about the draft because the draft is is hope for your team. You know, I know you as a Bronco fan. I mean even though you didn't have a first-round pick because you got Russell Wilson, you still think, hey, this is a chance to improve our football team. Absolutely, and it's it's been, even just from sitting at home and not being in Vegas, it's been very enjoyable to watch over the last few days. And I was speaking to you on Wednesday night. I was talking to Ollie and Sai, obviously, on Wednesday night as well. A lot of the talk started to come out. And this is something that Ollie predicted weeks ago with Sai saying, Travon Walker is very likely to go number one. And he did go number one to the Jags, Jeff. Georgia prospects going to the Jaguars. Um, we, we were talking on Wednesday night, and if we sort of focus on that first pick first off, were you convinced that he was going to go number one, or did you did you think in the end that maybe Hutchinson would have went? Or It sort of just changed the last few days, didn't it? And that whole focus really went towards Walker. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. And this is, this is really something that the fans, I think, can grab onto. And, and as you recognize how the process works, because a lot of times, you know, what we as fans see is the end result. We don't see how this all comes to be. And Ali inside did a great job of breaking the draft down all, all year. And what happened was at the end of the season, when the football games were all done being played, there was a hundred percent consensus that it would be Aiden Hutchinson would be the first player picked. How could you not, right? The quarterback pool was, was weak. He was uh, beyond a doubt the best defensive player in the draft, you know, in the draft. Most productive defensive player. 14 and a half sacks. Finished second in the Heisman Trophy ballot. That's incredibly hard for a defensive lineman to finish that high. 
So that, that's the recognition of the production that he had while he was at Michigan. Then the process begins. And what you have to understand is these guys are evaluated in a lot of different things, not just their tape, but, you know, at the combine, they're weighed, measured, every conceivable and sometimes some irrational tests are given to these guys um, to try and figure out which ones have the most what we call upside or the potential, the ceiling as a player. And Trayvon Walker, and I, and I want to be clear about this, has had nine sacks in three years as a defensive lineman, a rusher at Georgia. Nine. Aiden Hutchinson had 14 and a half in one season. All right. So there's no comparison between the two players production wise. However, traits, you know, you're going to hear this word a lot when we talk today. Traits. Okay. Walker at well over 270 pounds runs four or five. He runs like a receiver. Right. So what happens is immediately the football guys say, oh my God. He'll be unblockable in the National Football League. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, and I hope the kid develops, I really hope he develops to into what he's capable of being, physically capable of being. But the reality of it is your film is your resume. And the coaches at Georgia are not stupid guys, right? And I heard this. I, I, David, David Carr made a great point the other night, right? He said... Do you think they didn't want him to get to the quarterback at Georgia? I mean, it's like, come on, right? And so many times, and we've seen this numerous times in the NFL, the arrogance of the coaching staffs in the NFL and the personnel people say, we'll make him a player. We'll take that wonderful piece of clay and we'll make him a player. And I'm going to say this, right? Carson Wentz is on his third football team third right after being drafted in the first round right why was he drafted in the first round because he was big he was athletic he had a great arm all of the attributes the traits right that said he should be able to develop into an incredible nfl quarterback a franchise quarterback he's failed in philadelphia he's failed in indianapolis now he's in washington right and this is in less than five years as a professional football player there have been two coaching staffs that have failed to make him what his traits say he should be. I think personally, it's incredibly risky for a team like Jacksonville that needs football players, right? Not testers, football players to turn that franchise around. It's a huge gamble by Jacksonville. I love that. There is a title of this YouTube video. It's a huge, it's a huge gamble. Uh, no, look, I, I, I liked it. And, when we started seeing, so someone tweeted out, I can't remember who it was, on Wednesday night saying, per source, Jacksonville are locked in on uh, Trayvon Walker. And I was like, no, they, they're going to go with Hutchinson. But the thing about Walker is obviously in that, what will probably go down in history, that, that Georgia Bulldogs defense, Jeff, like he really still needs to develop his sequencing plan as a pass rusher. He's not the finished product. I mean, look, nobody in the draft is, yeah? But he, there is still a good bit of work to do for him there. How, how how do you think he's going to get on maybe this season with Jacksonville? Because the Jaguars, you know, look, every team wants to go 16, 17 and 0 now with the extra week. But 
you know, they could be looking at, you know, a similar, maybe not a similar pick next year in the first five picks, but they could be looking at drafting highly again next year. And for him, what would be a successful season, do you think, trying to embed himself into this team? Well, I think, I think you know, he's going to have to play, right? Because they drafted him as the first player picked in the draft, right? But Michael, I know this for a fact. There was division in the in the building in Jacksonville about this pick. There was concern that if they took an edge player first, whether it was Hutchinson or whether it was Trayvon Walker or whether it was Kayvon Thibodeau or any of the edge players, and he failed, right? <clears throat> There's exposure as an edge player that there isn't as, say, an offensive lineman. So there was some consensus in the building to go to Ekwandu, who is the tackle out of NC State, and then they could, if he if he couldn't play tackle, he could slide him into guard, and he could play guard for you. If an edge player, if you draft an edge player with the first pick, and he fails, can't hide it. There's no place for him to go, right? So that's why there was some concern in the building in Jacksonville about taking an edge player first, and it kind of was really interesting because. Daniel Jeremiah, who had, who I think is the most well-respected draft evaluator in the business, right? It was a was a scout for a number of years. He had Hutchinson as his top player, and even as late as the last week of the before the draft, he compared not the forty times. He compared the short shuttle times and the explosive movement uh, measurements of Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker, and Hutchinson was just as good or better in the key, in those more key statistics. Because, and, and again, this is this is what baffles me and about the combine. When in the world is Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, you know, Hutchinson, any of those edge guys ever going to run a straight line 40 yards? It's not going to happen. They're not going to cover kicks. And even on a cover to kickoff, you got to avoid somebody at some point, right? That is an antiquated measurement that has no value in today's NFL. Or I'd say little value in today's NFL. But yet we cling to it, right? It's like in the Olympic Games. What's the glamour event? It's the 100 meters. Right, because they say that's the fastest man in the world. Well, he is in 100 meters, you know, but it's a it's a sexy measurement, and it's it's way outlived its usefulness. Loving the terms there, Jeff. Uh, this, but this, like, I feel, and this is, this is the thing about the draft this year, especially. I feel like we could sit here from now until the start of training camp to talk about some of these decisions and talk about the sheer. Um, unpredictableness of this and we'll, we'll get into the quarterback talk in a little minute but let, let's focus on that guy you were talking about in, in regards to Walker Aiden Hutchinson um, played in Michigan obviously he was a Michigan, Michigan Wolverine he's staying in Jim Harbour quote uh, the great state of Michigan now playing with, with the Detroit Lions getting picked second overall Jeff you know this is a guy he doesn't really have the same skills as like the Bosa brothers for example but his potential and his quickness and his skilled hand play, this is really going to help this Lions team going forward, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there's a couple things here, you know, that we need to be aware of, right? 
and there, one of them was a little, little, just a snippet after he was drafted that I thought was really, if I'm a Lions fan or I'm somebody in that building, when the kid says it, I go, yes, that's our guy. Because what he said when he was interviewed right after he was drafted by the Lions is, I get to stay home in Detroit, right? Not I have to go to Detroit because the want to be there, the want to turn that program, his home state team, it is, Michael, when I talked to Lions fans this week around Vegas, they were unanimous in hoping that Hutchinson would fall to them with the second pick. And I am sure that Dan Campbell and everybody in that building in Detroit, Chris Spielman and everybody that's in the decision-making process in Detroit was elated to have that kid. I thought the Lions had a phenomenal first day because think about what they did. They had those two picks and you get the highest rated defensive player and you get the highest rated receiver in the draft with your two picks. Now, you took Penny Sewell last year, Penny Sewell last year, who is, you know, a phenomenally talented offensive lineman. Those are the kinds of picks you need to make to turn your franchise. Every player is like this, but Hutchinson really is a guy that will not give up until the end of that game. And this is the sort of player that Detroit needs. And I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen, Jeff. And look, he's really able to create separation in many different ways. And he's really massive, massive aggressive types of aggression. And you, I think you're really going to see him create a difference on the football team from week one, from day one, from that first game. What do you think his ceiling is in Detroit? Like, you know, do you think, who is the higher ceiling, Walker or Hutchinson for you? Well, I, I, well, there's no question Walker has the highest ceiling. Because if you can, if you, I mean, he's got, he's an unbelievable athlete, right? You don't find guys at his size that can bend and accelerate and run the way he can run, right? Now, again, David Carr makes a great point, right? And I got to give props to guys that I think know what they're talking about. David Carr was a quarterback in the National Football League for a lot of years, right? That doesn't make him an authority. But it makes him a guy I want to listen to. Right, so so what, what David Carr says is, okay, everybody talks about his position flexibility because he can run like that, right? And yes, at Georgia, they did drop him into coverage some, right? But he's not an instinctive coverage player. He's a guy you can drop into coverage three or four times a game, right? He's... He has the coverage skills that Vaughn Miller had when he was playing for Wade Phillips. Every once in a while, you drop him into coverage, just to, just as a changeup. You don't want to do it on a steady diet because he's not an instinctive player in space, right? That's the concern that I have with the kid, is if you are that talented, right? You have that, those kind of measurables, and you're playing on a defense with great players around you, right? Because Georgia had more defensive players drafted than any team in history yesterday, right? How can you not show up more than you show up on tape? Because it's always the tape. You always go back to the tape. Now, Trent Baalke is, is a measurements guy. That's been, and it's worked for him in the past. Alden Smith, measurement guy, 
at Missouri, not somebody who was a household name. He comes and he has, I think, 14 and a half sacks in two years or some crazy thing, right? Then got off, couldn't handle himself off the field and, you know, he's out of the NFL. But he did translate from Missouri to the NFL. This kid's going to have to make the same transfer. If we're going to sort of go, just go into the third pick, we'll, tr- we'll try and look at the first five here in the show, Jeff. But the first quarterback off the board was Houston. And look, I and we'll, we'll talk about this guy next. And then I had Sauce Gardner going number one, like number one for me in terms of quarterbacks. But Derek Stegney Jr., I, I like what the Texans have done in this draft, but not just in the draft, what they've done since the last ball was thrown in on the start of January for them, bringing in the new head coach, this new philosophy. He fits their style big time, doesn't it? I mean, this is this is a good pick for this Texas team. Yeah, I, I, this is it's, now again. See, this, these are the kind of things I, I I'd love to. You know, I think this is great that we get to talk about these kinds of issues, right? Because Stingley's another one of those guys that was all over the place in the draft process, right? I could take out his his UCLA tape from his scene, you know, his last year at, at LSU, and you would say. Man, man, that guy's not very good, right? And I'm serious. He had a bad, it was hard to watch, right? Or I could take out his freshman tape when he's at LSU and you take him in the first round as a freshman, right? Look at his practice tape, and I found a couple snippets of that where he goes up against Justin Jefferson and he goes up against all those great receivers and he's, I mean, he's gloving them up as a freshman. He did not play well in the COVID year, right? Which, I mean, that's that was such a crazy situation. You can't you can't downgrade a kid very much for that. But then his last year, he was hurt and tried to play through it. So his statistics and his tape aren't very good, right? And Sauce jumped ahead of him because Sauce had a much more productive year and sauces longer and so on and so forth but through the draft pop process stingley re-established himself at his pro day when he went out and ran extremely well showed that he could put his foot in the ground and, and drive on the ball you know the questions with stingley are does he you know does his motor run all the time right well he has the physical ability he, he's shown he can do it now he's got to do it all the time because the NFL and college football ain't even close, right? The margins for error, the you know, your ability to take plays off, all that, not even close, right? So the question with Stingley will be not physical because he had a Liz Frank surgery. He's healed up. He's proven that he's back physically. His competitiveness and his ability to play hard down in and down out that's what he's got to show. If he does, he'll be a great player in the league because he has all the talent. In terms of what you're saying in regards to his injuries, um, he had a lower or a leg injury in December 2020. He missed two games. Missed the final nine games as a junior after surgery to repair a, a torn Liz Frank ligament. Never tore my Liz Frank ligament, Jeff, but it uh, sounds sore. In October 2021, he needs to stay in the field, doesn't he? If he doesn't stay in the field, it's not going to happen. But you'd like to think he's got the worst over him. Yeah, you, you, and some of that's luck, right? I mean, you know, some guys just don't have, they're, they're unlucky, you know. But 
we talk in coaching about make your greatest ability your availability, right? Because if you're a great player and you're standing on the sideline or you're in the trainer's room, you know, we, we can't win that way, right? So they're going to have to keep him on the field. But I like the pick and I like the kid. I, you know, I just think that, you know, here's what happens during the process. People start looking for reasons to not take it, right? And with Stingley, they found some, right? Early, right? The production wasn't there. The tape wasn't very good. The injury. So he had to reestablish his position, and he did that successfully. He went to Dallas. He trained with some guys in Dallas. He got healthy, and he had an awesome pro day. Let's look at number four. The background of this stream is green. One team that wears green has done very well in this draft, the New York Jets. I mean, my God, if there was an award for winning the draft, I think the Jets have got it, Jeff. Sauce Gardner going to four. Uh, look, Cincinnati hasn't produced an NFL first-round pick since 1971. They have now. What a pick for, to start it off for the Jets, yeah. Number four on the board. Yeah, and, I, you know, and again, and as I evaluate players, right, and I looked at him, and I, I was skeptical at first, right? Because here's a kid that plays in a non-Power 5 conference, right? And so you don't see the same speed. You don't see the same receivers. You don't see the same quarterbacks when you're playing Marshall or East Carolina or, you know, Tulane or any of those schools, which are in their conference. It, you're, not, you're not seeing Alabama. You're not seeing, you know, Texas. You're not seeing... You know what I mean? Saying so, all of a sudden, you watch the kid and you watch the kid and you watch the kid, and all of a sudden you realize hey, he's six one, which is tall for a corner, and everybody's looking for big corners. And you see, well, okay, now he's six one. He probably has most six one guys that play corner. They can't bend. They can't, you know, they can't transition. He's smooth in transition. He can bend. And the thing that really separates him from for me. He's got great ball skills, and he will hit you, right? He's not a he's not a conscientious objector out there at corner that's not going to tackle anybody. He will hit you, and you know he's he's got the mental and psychological makeup all great corners have, right? He's never been beaten ever. Ask him the last time he got. I, I swear to you, ask him the last time he got beat. He said, "I don't remember." Right. And that's the that's the mindset. That's the mindset you've got to have. You've got to have that at the corner because you're going to get beat and you got to put it away. and you got to play the next down. The whole thing, I, I don't know if you've seen the, the video from the New York Jets war room. Good to have the war rooms back after COVID. They were buzzing. They were swearing. They were partying. They were loving the picks. Uh, he's very, he's very like sort of sleek. But he's very lean. Do you think he's too lean for his position, or do you think he has to bulk up a bit to try and keep going in the NFL? Because you did say it in the last few picks, the, the step up between college and, and the NFL is uh, is monumental, to say the least. Yeah, and it's different at different positions, right? And when you talk about size, there are certain positions on the field where bulk and, and weight are important. There are certain positions on the field where play strength is important. And I didn't say size. I said play strength. And so when you look at Sauce Gardner, what you see is a lean athlete who has great play strength. 
and there was another there's a day two receiver or excuse me db from kid named flock from from lsu weighs about 175 pounds but you look at his competitiveness and you look at his play strength he doesn't miss tackles because he's not strong enough he's a, he's aggressive you know so that's where again that's a measurable that's a relative measurable Let's round off the top five before we get a couple of final thoughts to have about quarterbacks and maybe your experience in the Bellagio, et cetera, and some tips in, in the future in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> Giants fans are happy. A few Giants mates over here, obviously, in Ireland, UK. They're very happy, Jeff. Kevin Thibodeau going to five, and we'll talk about number seven maybe in a different show, but look, I mean, for him to be sitting at five, they, they must have been extremely happy uh, to get their man at five there, and this is the guy that can, well, he's confident, isn't he? It reminds me, it reminds me a bit of, of OBJ's confidence. And I don't know if you've seen his interview after he was picked. He's, he's a happy man, but he's, he's got the confidence, Jeff, to, to, to go into the league. And if he can perform as well as he talks, he could be a pro bowler first year. <laughs> well, again, you know, this is a very, this guy was a lightning rod during the, during the evaluation process. You put on the tape. Wow. I mean, Wow, he's so he's got such great quickness off the ball. He's got length. He's got you know more sophisticated arsenal of pass rush moves than most kids do coming out of college. Now, remember, the guy who coached him at Oregon is a guy named Joe Salavea. And Joe Salavea played in the National Football League. I have some friends on that Oregon staff and I ask them about this kid. And they think he's gotten a ridiculously wrong narrative about who he really is. The reality of, of Kayvon Thibodeau is he's extremely smart and he has interests outside of football and he does talk. And sometimes when you when you say things like, for example, he says, well, I might just want to work at a big company like Nike and not play, right? Well, all of a sudden, all of the quote football guys, they go, oh my God, he's not committed to football, right? Again, I think that, that you got to be really careful when you do that. When I talked to Bucky Brooks about this kid, Bucky made a really good point, right? He said, scheme fit is important, but coaching fit is more important. Because this is a kid that is going to question you, right? Not because he's a knucklehead. He's going to question you because he wants to know, right? And so he's going to have to go to a place where he's got a coaching staff that understands it and is willing to adjust to his personality. He has a strong personality. There's been a lot of guys that have strong personalities. If you think there aren't strong personalities in the NFL, you better check again because these are alpha males, dude. These guys are – this ain't the regular guy walking on the street, these guys, right? So, you know, it's – it, you got to be able to adjust your coaching style to the athlete that you have. I like the kid. I, I, I talked to him the day before the draft, and I liked him a lot. He's fun. I mean, he's fun to be around. And, you know, he, he handled, I think, some really almost like they were attacks on his character, right? And one thing he said to me, Michael, was, which, which I took as a good thing, he said, you know, it, it really, I, I can let it go, but it bothers me when my mom has to hear that kind of stuff, you know? 
And that, that says a lot to me, right? So I think he's going to be hugely successful there. And what a guy's made for New York. I mean, he's made for New York. The ceiling for New York now with the new GM and with the whole Daniel Jones situation and now Kevin Thibodeau coming in. Never mind talking about pick seven later on, but it's just, it's going to be intriguing. You said you were speaking and he has got quite a narrow sort of torso and he, he may need to bulk up. He's got like lean legs. Did that stand out to you or, or, or do you think he's You know, it's funny. Day you know, I love it when you know where to go. It's almost like you team me up. So I'm standing out there with those guys, right? And so because it's been what I've done for 30 years, like when I look at an athlete, I immediately, it's like a checklist as you look at it, right? By position, okay? So Aiden Hutchinson walks up, right? He's six, probably six, six, maybe six, seven. And I had read all the stuff, right? And I'd watched the tape. But I'd never met the kid in person, right? So he walks up, and Neil's talking to him, interviewing him. And so I'm giving him the once-over, you know, the coach's once-over, right? Just like he used to do when you – and you do it – when I was back in college, you do it, you walk into the high school, right? And it'd be the time when you couldn't talk to him, but the coach would parade him past you like they were an animal on parade, right? And then you'd – see how tall they were you'd look at their bodies and all they walked and all that stuff so hutchinson's standing there and i had read all this stuff about his short arms right so i thought i was going to see like a tyrannosaurus rex like his arms are going to be like this he's got he's his arms are plenty long enough you know it's just like are you kidding me but it that's the over hype of the draft right okay so then Kayvon walks up and the things that you talk about. I'm telling you, Kayvon Thibodeau is a full-grown man. Don't worry about it. He's going to be fine with those other guys. You know? You and Willis, Malik Willis walks up, right? And I, okay, I, and I told Malik this. I said, Malik, I look at you, and I coach Doug Flutie, and you're way bigger than Doug Flutie, number one. And number two, when you look at Malik Willis, the first thing that strikes you about him physically is his lower body. He is big. I mean, he is thick in his waist. and not, not fat thick. He's strong in his hips and his thighs and his lower body, right? That's what you throw from. That's your throwing platform, right? So that's an interesting thing. The, the next time I see you in person, I think you're going to look me up and down and do your coaches. I mean, what, what position could he play here sort of thing and, and see what's going on? You know what, Michael, um, that's, that, that's, that, that's something that they, that they really should teach, right? Hmm. Because a lot of the and this is the difference between talent evaluators and information gatherers, right? There's two types of scouts in the NFL. There's, and these are typically the younger guys, right? And they're the guys that go in and they go, you know, they measure them. They put a 40 time on them. They measure their vertical. Okay. They measure the players. The talent evaluators are the guys that look at all the, all the other stuff, not just the tape. Does he look you in the eye when he talks to you? How big is he? How, you know, look at his proportions. How does he walk? Where's the weight on his feet when he walks, right? All of those things, you know, is he knock kneed? Is he bow legged? It, all that stuff that so many of these people that 
working. It, it, that's why they make so many mistakes, right? It's fun, Jeff, and it's 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 not silly season, but it's it's fun season. We're getting so much so much analysis, so much content. It's fantastic. Um, look, I it's great to talk through the first five picks here in the draft, and I think we could talk for a week about the rest of the first round of the draft. But j just you know, why does it have you? Like maybe, maybe for the next five minutes, and and we'll cap this podcast. Then, um, couple of things. Uh, round two and round three were interesting. I feel like we could sit here and talk about quarterbacks, wide receivers, how the whole first round played out. But I, I know there'll be people watching that maybe woke up on Saturday morning, for example, and seeing uh, David Ajabo going to 45 to Baltimore. And um, for you, obviously with his injury in the last few weeks and months, did you think he'd be at, do you think, do you think 45 was, was about right? There was a time on Thursday night that I thought he could go here in the late 20s when it was starting to open up a bit, because that whole draft, completely changed when those trades started coming in it, it was like a free-for-all at one point well i think mike the thing you know that happens and i think what caused the jabo to go at 45 <clears throat> beyond the injury right because he is way he's, he's way higher graded than 45 but he has a torn achilles now you know every team did a medical on him every team looked at him post-surgically all that stuff but they're not as concerned about those you know, that's not an injury that you can't come back from, right? I think what happened to Ajabo is there were so many edge players in this draft that teams had to make a decision about is our need so strong at edge that we, with all these good players out there, that we take a job with the fact that maybe he won't play until october and november right or do we need a guy in camp to make it you know it's, that's the they have to weigh that right and because there was because the edge class was so deep he got pushed down a little bit now i thought it was really interesting and i'm really happy for him that he went to baltimore because number one his college defensive coordinator is in baltimore so he knows the kid Right. And I'm sure when they when the when the Ravens were in that draft room talking about making that pick, they went to that that guy and they said, hey, what do you think? Because he knows him. Right. Mel Kuyper don't know him. You know, none of the, I don't know him. That guy coached him. That guy knows what makes that kid tick. Right. And so you lean on that selection and he's going to a team where he doesn't need to be on the field right now. They can be very, very, if they need to, they can redshirt him for a year, right? It's the same thing Tennessee did with Jeffrey Simmons and look at what kind of player he's turned into, right? And they took him knowing that the value that he could bring when healthy was worth the wait. And I think the Ravens did a great job. Congratulations to David and his family. An incredible journey for the Scotland and Nigeria, man. And yeah, wrap them in cotton wool if needs be for the next six to 12 months. Just before we go, a couple of last points. Jeff, I was sitting, sitting on Friday night trying to watch the third round of the draft. Nicobe Dean went at 83 of the Eagles. 83, Nicobe Dean. The guy is sensational. Okay, here's the deal with him. And there were a couple of kids that slid. And there's always a story behind the slide, right? The one that shocked me initially as we were doing the draft was Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, right? And again, where'd he go? 
I haven't got the exact number now. I know where he went in the first, but it's Jermaine Johnson. I it, it's it's been a long two days. What, what number? Way did he go way lower. Some people had him in the top five. Right? He went twenty. Was it twenty? And, and there was because there was quote this narrative about you know his attitude, right? All, that stuff gets. Here's what happens, and it's, this is so. It's it's unfortunate, but it happens. If you want a guy, right? You got you got a couple ways you can get him. You can if he's not if he's not you don't think he's going to be there when you are going to draft. Well, one way is trade up, right? But you got to give something away to get him. The other way is put information out there that's not true, right? And disinformation can scare people off of a kid, right? There was there were a number of sliders in the draft. Matt Corral, you know, third round, okay, and he has he was in my opinion the second best quarterback in the draft. Number ninety four, Jeff, going to the Panthers. All right, so there was some concern about some things in his past, right? And teams got scared away from him until Carolina said the risk is worth the potential reward in the third round. Now, that's a kid that's openly talked about his battles with depression. And apparently there's some off-field things with alcohol. But that's the kind of stuff that's not on film, that we're not privy to. That's what the, you know, the information gatherers, they have to find that kind of stuff out. They will interview everybody in that kid that has anything to do with that kid to find out where the truth lies. Um, Dean, on, on the other hand, has got some health issues, right? There's two things that pushed him down. He's 5'11". Right. Actually, there's three things. He's 5'11", right? He's not, he doesn't have great measurables, right? He's not, he's not going to run 4'4", right? He's 230 pounds. And he's got health issues. He's got an injury history. Okay. So, again, it's all about risk and reward. Okay. There's some risks there because he's, he's undersized for the position. He's under, he, has, he doesn't have, quote, speed for the position, and he's got an injury history. So how do you go from being the best player on tape at the national champion, the outright leader of the defense, right? The guy's a mechanical engineering major, right? He's, they're not, he'll, re, he'll, he'll get through the playbook the first day, right? I mean, there's no question with any of that stuff. Well, it's those other factors that drove his stock down. And people just, plus he's got the other factor is, and this is, I think, this is another one of the silly things. He's at a, quote, undervalued position, right? It's just like running back. I mean, Brees Hall in the second round? Huh? The whole Walker in the second round? I mean, if you think about Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll is 72 years old, and he was probably doing backflips when they drafted Walker because he's exactly what the what the Seahawks want. 
this is the thing. I think we could talk about Seattle and the quarterback situation for the next 25 minutes now. How, however, however, uh, yeah, Jermaine Johnson going 26. I knew my sleeping pattern wasn't too bad. I got it there in some way. Um, just just finally, to, to wrap the show off, uh, you're welcome back on any time, Jeff, to talk about the rest of these picks. Uh, what's been the one that stood out for you over the last few days? Maybe not in round one, uh, but maybe looking at two or three. I've seen uh, Arizona got Trent McBride. Kansas City getting Sky Moore Ooh, at 54 in the draft. Like I've seen the excitement there was mad. But is, is there anybody that you think we're not really talking about that might have um, sort of crossed yeah, your I mind? Thought- I, that I, I think pick, Jeff, the strange pick, yeah. The, dra- the draft pick that might have as much pressure on him as the first round pick, Trayvon Walker, is Christian Watson in, in Green Bay, right? Because Green Bay's desperate for receiver help. 34, right? and they went up to, to get him, didn't they, as well? Yeah. They had the package picks to get him, right? Because they backed themselves in a corner when they didn't take him in the first day there was so much talk about the packers trading up because they needed to get one of those marquee receivers and then the receiver started to go off the board and the packers didn't move it'll be interesting to see and i scott pioli really liked it that they got value picks early and then got their receiver moved up to get their receiver that's great if this kid develops again you're talking about a thin you know, a thin receiver who's tall, who can run like crazy, but he played at North Dakota State, right? Now, that doesn't mean he's a bad player. It just means that he hasn't, the, the jump is going to be bigger than it would have been for Wilson or Olave or, you know, any of the receivers who played in at bigger programs. So there'll be some pressure on that kid. Um, you know, he reminds me of a little bit when I watch him on tape. Jordy Nelson. Now he's not as strong as Jordy Nelson yet, but he's a, he's got that kind of stuff. And if he can turn into anything like Jordy Nelson, I think he can be a really good player for, for Aaron Rodgers. Exciting time in Green Bay then in that case, Jeff. Jeff, obviously folks for anyone watching this or listening to this podcast, they can still, even after the draft's over, check out the Gridiron draft guide, Simon Clancy, and just check out how their new how their new players on their team uh, are doing. It's a 240-page uh, in-depth guide. You can check it out the link is in the description and the bio below as well. Jeff, uh, I know you're traveling to Canada now after today. I want to wish you the very best to have travels and I hope you hope you enjoy your last day in Vegas. Fa- thank you very much for doing this. Get up at six in the morning to do this for everyone listening and watching this. And uh, take care, man. Uh, at Jeff underscore Reinbold, at Coffee Reinbold, and obviously on Sky Sports as well. Jeff, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it, Michael. Take care.